folks. Welcome into the Orange and Brown Report podcast. I'm your host, Jared Mueller, and your Cleveland Browns defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers, won a playoff game, dominated, destroyed, all that fun stuff, and unfortunately, took me a little while to get back on the mic. Uh, I'm old, so I was a little tired after the game, and then on yesterday, Monday, I uh, was getting prepared to uh, get my COVID vaccine shot, and so... Uh, if you don't know, I've been sharing on Twitter some of the details of that and my experience. So I'll share a little update with you guys. Uh, my next update will be here instead of on Twitter, and then I'll let Twitter know they can come here, right? That's really good marketing, right? Planning it out, get more people on the podcast, all that fun stuff to hear from, really from Steven here in a second. Um, but just wanted to let you know you kind of where I'm at. So uh, it is Tuesday afternoon, so I am over 24 hours from having the COVID vaccine. Uh, I was a little tired. I kind of hit a, a, a tired spell in the middle of today, uh, but my shoulder is really almost done being sore. There's just a little soreness left in it, which makes sense. They stuck a real big needle right through that muscle, right? So that it makes sense that shoulder issues are going to, uh, muscle issues are going to happen for just a little while, uh, but really kind of through all that, now it's just really about being tired, and so, which makes sense. My immune system is, is learning to fight off something. It's putting a lot of energy towards that, uh, which is good, which is kind of what you want to have happen. Um, and so, listen, the reality is I want everybody to be safe. I don't end the podcast with what I end, just to say it, just to have some ending or whatever I say, because that really matters to me. You're gonna, you are taking time to listen to this podcast about the Cleveland Browns. That means you matter to me. Uh, and in the, in the end, people matter to me, and, and I want people to be safe. And so if you have concerns about the pod, or I'm sorry about the podcast, about the vaccine, I want you to at least have somebody and go, oh, yeah, Jared said he had that experience, or... Or maybe maybe I'm the guy that, well, he got it, so maybe I can get it. I don't care what it is, but I want you to be safe. Uh, and I want you to do things in a way that, that make you safe. So, you know, my experience was pretty simple. I, I walked, I scheduled it because I am a, outside of uh, my coverage with the OBR, I am a full-time uh, front-facing, patient-facing mental health provider for a medical network. So, obviously, we're trying to get uh, vaccined so that we're safe as well as we don't put our patients at risk. Uh, and so, signed up, went. And while I was there, they literally gave me an ingredients list, uh, told me exactly what was in the vaccine, a bunch of other details. Uh, and then I signed uh, for that, got the shot, waited 15 minutes, didn't have a reaction, went on with my day. Took today off because uh, our medical network kind of encourages that for the next day. And I'm probably going to do that. Well, the next one I have is going to be on a Friday. So I will have the next two days off because that reaction can be what it is. So... That is what I've experienced. I just want to share that with you. Um, and if you, I just encourage you to, to gather information outside of just friends and family. Uh, I've talked to many doctors. I have done the research myself uh, to try to gather information so that I can make the good decision. And for me, the fact that messenger RNA research has been going on for 30 years really was kind of the final straw. That was, I mean, beyond everything else, that was really encouraging to me. So, just wanted to let you know that. And now we are going to bring in Stephen Thomas, but I'm going to play a little clip, like a little clip that I played in our last uh, time together, uh, because that is really fun for me. There's a dream, man. There's a dream. Mm. Let's get the gleam, all right? Let's go. Let's go. 
All right, as promised, folks, my guy, your guy, the funny guy, Stephen Thomas. Stephen, we got the gleam. We still don't know what the freak the gleam is that Marty was talking about, but we got the gleam, brother, and we are on to the divisional round of the playoffs. How are you doing with yours and my Cleveland Browns defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers 48-37 on Sunday Night Football? Well, it's been, you know, pretty darn good day. You know, I mean, like you said, how am I? I'm in the divisional round. So, and it's the first time that, you know, this team has been there since I was, you know, young enough to get in and out of a chair without going, so, you know, it's been quite a while. Um, Yeah, and I have no idea what the gleam is either, but apparently they freaking had it Sunday night because that was... That was a, a whooping uh, that I know everyone enjoyed uh, as much as I did. You know, and yeah, we'll never, I don't know if, the, I, I really should Google, have we figured out what he freaking meant by that, but Marty and the <laughs> gleam, I used that on the, the last pod as well. Uh, you know, looking at some of the stats, they're just amazing. Like, to be honest, I haven't looked at them, um, as I talked about in the intro, you know, getting the, the COVID vaccine on Monday and that taking a lot of my time and energy and attention trying to be ready for that. But just looking at them now before our conversation, you know, Baker Mayfield, 21 of 34, three touchdowns, 263. Roethlisberger threw the ball 68 freaking times for 501 yards, and none of them really mattered. He had four touchdowns, but they had four interceptions. They had the fumble. Um, it's just crazy to look at some of the stats looking back. They only had 52 yards of, of rushing. The Browns averaged 4.1, 127 yards. It's just such a – like the stats basically don't matter, right? Juju Smith-Schuster, 13 receptions, 157 yards, and a touchdown and, and a sad face on the sidelines. So, you know, as we look back at the game, there are so many different plays. There are so many different experiences from the – Literally from the opening snap. So for you, Stephen, as you look back at the game, you know, we're a couple days out from this. We're recording uh, Tuesday afternoon. We're going to publish right after we get it recorded. Uh, what are some – what's a play or two that, that sticks out to you that, that you feel like you'll always remember that gets you excited or that you feel like defined the game? Um, well, I liked uh, – my favorite play, I think, was the um, snap it over his head and let the other team recover it for a touchdown play that Pittsburgh opened the game with. I was – I was a big fan of that play. Um, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, maybe we can get uh, Patrick Mahomes to open the game with that this week. That'd be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it, what, what's wild about it is, and, you know, I know I'm not alone in this because uh, every Browns fan in the world had the same experience. That entire first quarter was just, I don't know what to do. My wife kept asking me, she's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I kept saying, I I honestly don't know. I I don't know what to do because even the most optimistic Browns fans out there, the ones who thought they could win, thought it would be, you know, 27-23 or or 24-21 in a battle and you know nobody saw that first quarter coming. I don't I they won't admit it, but years from now, if you talk to them off the record, I don't even think the players, nobody thinks you're going to be up 28 nothing in the first quarter. It's it's unbelievable, but what impressed me the most and this goes back to something we've been talking about. I thought about it uh, when you said you wanted me on today. You asked me a question back in August, July, somewhere uh, around there in the preseason, and it was, what are you looking forward to most uh, with this team? And my answer was seeing this collection of offensive talent with cohesive coaching, a scheme, and a, a, you know, hopefully a culture change. And that has been borne out over the course of the year. And in a microcosm, that was what impressed me most Sunday night because – after the initial onslaught, you know, uh, 
Uh, Pittsburgh scored and made it 28 to 7. Now, every Browns fan in the world had that the OIC bubble up in their stomach at that point. We all, okay, what's, because the quote unquote same old Browns at that point, the next drive would not have been the touchdown drive. It would have been, you know, um, somebody uh, put the ball on the ground or a tip ball pick six or, you know, we, we all know what, what we were imagining in our heads, but. The team, and Baker Mayfield in particular, went out in that drive. Baker Mayfield put that drive on his shoulders. He said, we're, we're I mean, he scrambled for the first down. Uh, he found guys on second and third reads. He just, he said, we're scoring on this drive. You cannot stop me. He did what championship quarterbacks do on that drive, and that drive was huge, and did it again uh, after Pittsburgh closed to 35-23 to 23 on the drive uh, that ended with the Chubb uh, touchdown on the screen pass, and then did it again with the two, uh, well, the one big time-consuming field goal drive, but then the, the other field goal after, uh, you know, Taki Taki's interception. I, that was what impressed me the most, the fact that no matter how many times Pittsburgh tried to get off the mat, and like you said, you just read the stats, it, it's not like we shut them down or anything, 500-something yards of offense, they just they kept coming, and no matter how many times they tried to get up off the mat, Baker Mayfield and the offense just kept pushing them back down. It was the mental fortitude, the culture change. Um, that's what impressed me most because they did not allow them back into the game. Because, I mean, yeah, we were all scared and we were all nervous. But if you look at it, really, if you step back and take the emotion out of it, at four minutes in, they were up two scores. And it was never closer than two scores. Again, it was never closer than, than 12 points, again, the rest of the game. And so even though, yeah, it was an 11-point win and we were all nervous right up until the final few minutes, it really wasn't all that close. They really took them to the woodshed for most of the game. And uh, Browns teams for the past 20 years wouldn't have done that to, you know, the worst teams in the league, let alone on the road in the first round of the playoffs. That's what impressed me most on Sunday night. Absolutely, and there, I mean, there are so many plays, and there are so many ways that when you look at this Browns game, obviously people didn't like that the Browns were allowing the Steelers a lot of short passes and, and all of that, but in a lot of ways that allowed more clock to be eaten up, and then when needed, the offense, you know, kind of made things happen, but the reality was is they played smart, they played within themselves, being up two scores, like in the end, you you have to play the numbers a little bit, and the numbers said, that the Browns were going to win because the Steelers were just going to run out of possessions as long as the Browns, you know, were able to score at different times. And they were able to do that, putting up 13 points in the fourth quarter uh, after the Steelers, you know, had 23 between the second and third quarter themselves. So I think it was just really such an, an interesting game when you look at how the Browns were prepared, how the Browns uh, responded, right? They didn't get too high. They didn't uh, get cocky. They didn't, you know, just make stupid mistakes like you just talked about. You know, they they didn't do great at times. That uh, You know, no points in the third quarter, only seven in the second. But they did everything that they needed to do. The one play that's going to always stand out to me, I think, uh, and it really helped that a lot of people were – kind of dragging the Steelers about it afterwards, including like Warren Sharp and a few other people, is a play that shows that the Browns were prepared. And it was third and two. The Browns came out with three tight ends. So they had Njoku, they had Bryant, and they had Hooper. Uh, Bryant was wide left. Uh, Njoku and Hooper, uh, Hooper was on the line. Njoku was off. They ran uh, Kareem Hunt to the top of the right formation. Uh, so he's at the top of your screen if you're looking at it. And they had Jarvis Landry there as the third, as the slot. And 
based on how the Steelers do things, and there's actually another, one of the things Sharp did is look back at different times that this has happened to the Steelers over and over again, is that the Steelers were, even though they had two corners on the field, because Jarvis was in the slot, they lined up a linebacker. A backup mm-hmm. linebacker, if I believe, mm-hmm. and if I remember right, and, and Jarvis ran uh, an option route. He's called a lot of different things, an arrow route, a lot of different things, and 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 picked it up. Not only that, but there was a time uh, at or right after he caught the ball that Edmonds played patty cake and, and allowed him to get like five, six, seven more yards. Uh, and Njoku continued to hold his block on T.J. Watt. Just so many things about that play that. Well, it wasn't one of the big ones, right? It wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't an interception. It wasn't any of those kind of things. Not only was it important to get the first down, but it showed me that this Cleveland Browns team was ready. Uh, they're not going to – you can't run the same play over and over again because then the Steelers would make some adjustments. But they had that play ready, willing and able to go, and everybody knew what their responsibilities were, and they pulled it off. That is good coaching. That is good discipline to not run that play until you needed it. I mean, just everything across the board. And then they executed, right? So talent, coaching, execution, details. Like, that's that's what we saw from the Browns in, in their playoff for many, almost all of them, their first playoff game ever, you know, with all the crap that happened. Like, that play stands out to me as a defining play even though it's not likely to be on many highlight reels. Um, but that's kind of the fun thing about being really into the game is, yeah, we can watch the highlights, but then we can really appreciate those little things. So what was well, the and I think that's yeah. the key. That's the, that's the key phrase right there, the little things. That's, that's culture. That's cohesiveness. That's, you know, all the intangible things that we've been trying to change in this locker room for, you know, untold number of years, the little things, quote-unquote, is the phrase that matters because they do matter. That extra two yards matters. Holding that block an extra three-quarters of a second matters. It all matters. And the prep, I think what it goes back to is they studied the tape, they knew what the Steelers did in certain situations, and they attacked it. It's instead of, you know, having to hide our deficiencies and, you know, uh, um, try to cover things up, they have taken to, from an offensive standpoint anyway, uh, you find what the other team doesn't do well, and we're, we know in a specific situation, this, the play you just discussed, third and short, this is what they do. So if we're in third and short, this is one of our play, and if we get this look, we're going to do this because we've seen it before and we're going to execute it. And I think that's the key to everything. Jake did a good breakdown uh, earlier this week. Uh, I mean, not only the adjustments from the first game to the second game to Sunday against the Steelers, the things that they did differently, but like you just said, the things they did the same but just executed better. Like the first touchdown to Jarvis, that was a pick six in week mm-hmm. Yep five or six, whenever it was that we played them and they, and they took us to the woodshed. That was the exact same play. They just executed it better, and it goes back to something that you and I talked about in the early part uh, of the season when the offense would score in spurts and then look terrible in spurts, and we kept saying, be patient. This is a system that takes a long time to master. They're still thinking and reacting to it. And now, over the last you know month or two, uh, especially Sunday night, it seems like Man, they got it. They understand. They're anticipating everything better. And this is what being in a system like this for a whole year 
this is how it ends up, and I can't wait to see what happens next year um, because now they're they're ready to start the season full bore instead of finding their way um, and just doing stuff in spurts. But yeah, it, it all goes back to what you know what we said way back at the at the beginning of the season. It seems like they got the right guy in place to change the culture to do the little things, and they've done every single one of them. And as far as the defense. You mentioned, you know, people were upset that they gave up so many yards and underground. Yeah, it was definitely part, you know, uh, the score. I mean, you got to play the situation. Be smart about it. But also, I, you hate to make excuses, but with injuries and COVID and everything else and not being able to practice, they really didn't have a lot of choice. I, I, I mean, it, it's they simply didn't have the personnel to get ultra-aggressive on defense. And when you add in the fact, like you said, that the situation didn't call for it, that was the smart thing to do. I mean, I know a lot of people were upset about how many yards they gave up, but in the end, it it didn't really matter. It was the way to go to win the game because winning the game is all that matters. Style points don't matter in the NFL, especially in the playoffs. We, we're moving on. The Steelers are playing golf. That That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. And still running their mouth like some kind of idiots. And you're right. It's so much, <laughs> I mean, just the dumbest, stupid, I mean, like, come on, be chill. I mean, again, he, Claypool is young. We get it. Uh, you know, I think Juju would love to be on the Browns, um, but that's a different story. But I think you're, you know, obviously we've been talking for so long, and Stephen, I love our conversations because, you know, just some stats I'm looking at from Baker Mayfield. A, remember, this is literally the first time he's played under center in his entire career on a regular basis. They literally changed which foot he had forward first. So basically everything about what he did was going to be changed without a real offseason and a few numbers that matter. 63.8 is his completion percentage his rookie year. 59.4 is last year. This year, 62.8. So just one point down from his rookie season. But here's where we get 26 touchdowns. He had 27 his rookie year, only 22 last year. Eight interceptions. He had 21 last year and 14 the year before. And it's been a while since he's thrown one of those, oh, my goodness, you're an idiot, interceptions. And eight eight interceptions. Like eight interceptions from Baker Mayfield, who has some Brett Favre to him, all of those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's just exciting to see a team that makes a lot of sense, um, and I'll be honest, I'll tell you guys, uh, I kind of mentioned it on a different pod. Uh, I believe the Browns have a playbook that is specifically designed for the playoffs. I'll call it the playoff playbook because uh, that might be what it's called in uh, some areas of Berea. And I don't think they pulled out much of it this week. Uh, that that playoff playbook, I think, includes things that, that in coverage on defense that will – even be better with Denzel Ward and Kevin Johnson hopefully returning. Um, that will include some things on offense that may or may not be trick plays, but uh, will be different looks on things that we've seen much of the year that look exactly the same with a little bit off. Uh, so I'm really excited for that to possibly uh, be pulled off, uh, pulled out against Kansas City because obviously that's a different game that we're going to talk about here in a second. But let's, Stephen, ignore... Listen, this offseason, I think you and I are going to fight over topics and articles because you and I love the offseason. We love the draft. We love free agency. We love trades. We love thinking about what if. So we're going to have some arguments and uh, some stuff that's probably going to cross each other just because we enjoy it so much, which is great. So let's assume nothing about uh, Sunday. What do you think 
making the playoffs, which we talked about being important, and this win, what do you think it means big picture and in the long run for the Cleveland Browns? Um, well, in a very general sense, it means they're ahead of schedule. Um, I mean, you know, all year, even, you know, as recently as uh, just a few weeks ago, you know, um, just making the playoff, learning how to win. You know, this is their, you know, quote unquote, learning how to win year. Um, just learning how to close out these games and just just making the playoffs. That was really the goal. And we've said for I don't know how long, a lot of people have said, and I'm, I was among them, if they can get to the playoffs, I, everything else is gravy. I, you know, obviously I'm thrilled that they won and I wanted them to win and everything else. But if they had lost last week, it still would have been a successful season. You know, despite what some people have tried to get us to believe, it still would have. So now, not only have they learned how to win, they've learned how to win in the playoffs on the road um, in, in a charged game, uh, you know, when they didn't have their full uh, uh, array on either side of the ball. I mean, we all know the Michael Dunn story. Uh, he got there, you know, at midnight, and he was in the game that night. So, it, you know, they, they've learned how to overcome. They've learned how to adapt. They've learned how to be a playoff football team. So the next step, and we've talked about, you know, the, the opportunity the opportunities that they look like they're going to have in the offseason to add, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball in both free agency and trades and the draft and all that kind of stuff. The next step, if they do what we think they're going to do and get some guys back healthy and from the opt-outs, is to learn how to be a championship team. Um, and next year was supposed to be to learn how to be a, to win in the playoff. Uh, win, win in the playoffs year. This was supposed to be learn how to win. So it looks like they could be a year ahead of schedule in their, you know, in their window, as we all keep calling it. Um, and the fact that, A, they understand the system and believe in the system. They believe in Kevin Stefanski at this point. They get it. And that matters in the league. So as far as free agents and, and you know, potential trades where the where the, the player on the other team pushes his agent to get traded to a place, Cleveland is going to be a place that people want to go now, not just you know, 34-year-olds looking for one more bag of cash. I mean, like actual in-their-prime studs are going to want to come to Cleveland as part of, you know, one of the teams they want to go to to legitimately compete for a championship. So it, it the win, not only did they have, but it happened in prime time. At the end of the first six-game wildcard weekend, everybody in the world was watching that game. Every football fan, anyway, was watching that game. It really is going to have more than just a direct impact, the ripple impact that this is going to have in so many different ways. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it, we're not going to be able to calculate it, you and I, as outsiders. Inside that building, I'm sure Andrew Barry and his gang of nerds are licking their chops down because it, it just made their job 10%, 20%, whatever you want, number you want to put on it, easier in this upcoming offseason because now they can sell a coherent playoff caliber franchise to any outsiders that are thinking about coming to Cleveland. And that hasn't been the case in a long, long time. That that win was so big on so many levels. Uh, even if they don't you know, find a way to beat the, the Chiefs this week, it, it, it really doesn't matter from that standpoint moving forward. That that win was seminal. We will all look back on that win. If they, if they hoist a Lombardi anytime in the next 10 years, 
Sunday night will be the definitive starting point, really when Kevin Stefanski was hired. But as far as an on-field result, Sunday night will will be the definitive starting point of, uh, if, if that happens, that'll be when it all came to be. Yeah, and I think that's really uh, the key. I said before the, the playoffs were set, I thought the Steelers really were the best matchup for the Browns for, mm-hmm. for really for two reasons. One, I thought they weren't that good, right? And so, and then the other is, um, I thought it was there was some meaning to being the ones that maybe ended Bay Ben's career. Now, we want him to return because he takes up $40 million in cap space and he's not very good anymore and all that kind of stuff. We The Browns want him to return, but there is something about taking that next step against the, the Steelers. And so it was the perfect setup for the Browns, even though then that perfect setup became the, listen, we were talking in our Slack, like, what is next? Holy crap. How do they keep Baker and Miles Garrett like injury free in this game? Like it w- it just felt like everything was against them. And so mm-hmm. for that to for everything to be against them and for them to come out, you know, is is humongous. And so now we get to to move forward just quickly into talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and I'm going to say something to you that I'm going to write in an article somewhere. I believe the Kansas City Chiefs are basically the Pittsburgh Steelers with Patrick Mahomes instead of Ben Roethlisberger and a worse defense. Like, I know that sounds almost ridiculous, but they have a ton of weapons like the Steelers do, but they have a worse defense. I don't think they have a very good offensive line. I don't think they can run the ball as well. Uh, The same, maybe a little bit better than the Steelers, but that's not saying much. I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs, as currently constituted, are significantly different than the Steelers, except for Patrick Mahomes, which is probably the biggest except for that I could possibly say <laughs> about sports, right? But they also don't have as good of a defense as the Steelers do with T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, and all those guys. So, Stephen, can they win against Kansas City? I mean, obviously I know you're going to say, well, they can. Anything can happen. What do you think? Do you think the Browns have a legitimate chance against the Kansas City Chiefs? <laughs> except for Patrick Mahomes. That's like, you know, well, you know, the Cavs aren't very good except for LeBron James. I mean, he's he's ludicrous. He makes up for so <laughs> many deficiencies. He really is. I mean, he's just ridiculous. I'm going to say the same thing, because you remember about a month ago when the Browns were really on a roll, before all the COVID stuff uh, uh, started hitting against the Jets and everything, and they were starting to become the media darlings, and I think people were saying, oh, they could be a threat to the Chiefs, and you know, some of the big talking heads on ESPN and FS1 and the rest of them were all talking about, and I said something then, and I I still believe it then, I believe it now. I, I think we can score on them. I think we can score on anybody. I mean, we've proved that. They, you know, especially with Baker being so confident and frankly pissed off uh, lately. It, it, if they can get, if Conklin comes back and Batonio comes back, uh, they can they can put up points. I honestly, I don't know how we hold their offense under forty. I, I really don't. Forty-eight points this week might not be enough. Um, and, you know, I say that and then, you know, it'll end up being 15 to 12 or something. But, you know, <laughs> if you look at it on paper, realistically, our chance, especially, I mean, you know, God bless the defense and the next man up in mentality, but how many next man up can can they survive? I mean, it's 
it's just crazy, the injuries and the COVID and everything else on that side of the ball. And there were a question mark to begin with on that side of the ball. So I, you never know. I, like you said, you can maybe the defense comes out and, and picks off five more balls and, and you know, or stacks them seven times and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I Maybe. Um, but it would seem on paper realistically that their only chance to win is a 51-50 to 50 type shootout. Uh, where we have the ball last, um, so I, here, I I don't know. I don't want to make any game predictions at this point, but I think we're going to put up a lot of points, and realistically, probably going to give up more. Um, but yeah, they can. They, once you get in a shootout, anything can happen. I mean, one play here or there, and they they beat Baltimore on that Monday nighter last night uh, last month. You know, one play here or there, and you know, uh, how many games over the years have they lost 45 to 40, you know, uh, going back to Kelly Holcomb days. I mean, <laughs> when you get into a shootout, it really only takes one play on defense, and they have the guys that can make one play on defense, assuming they get them all back. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I'm pretty much in the same space that every other rational Browns fan uh, is going to be. We're, we're all going to want it. We're going to be emotional about it. We're going to talk ourselves into believing it, but if you step back and try to be as realistic about it, it seems unlikely. It seems like a, you know, one out of ten we can win type thing. Um, so, I, I mean, whatever happens, I'm going to be thrilled with it. It's been a great season, but, uh, yeah, they can. They can go in and, and put up points, and when you're in a shootout, you know, who knows how it ends. True that. And let me, uh, before I respond to that, uh, let me talk to you guys about BW Blue Wire Hustle. Uh, I want to tell you about it, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast or just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is the open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. And you can check out the description box uh, from this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Yeah, Stephen, I think the reality is, is that if the Browns win, it'll be seen as a, a gargantuan upset. Uh, you and I are both going to write a little bit about if the Browns win, what it might look like for uh, and who, who they might want to face in the AFC championship game? Like, that's really weird to say that the Browns are one game away from the <laughs> AFC championship game. I think what's really exciting for the Browns on uh, against the Chiefs is, you're right, they're going to have to score a lot of points. That's just going to be true. But the Browns can be explosive in their run game. And mm-hmm. that is different than other teams, right? That's different than the Chiefs. That's di- that's different than most teams in the NFL is they can actually be explosive in the run game where it's not just dependent on them just hiking the ball and uh, hoping Frank Clark and and them boys don't get to Baker Mayfield or whatever, they can literally be explosive in the run game. We know what the screen game can look like. And one of the things that I'm encouraged about with this Browns team, and we've talked about it throughout the season, is they have shown that they can win in a variety of ways. Against Mm -hmm. the Steelers, it was interceptions, turnovers, uh, and an explosive offense. Other days, it's been 
uh, bend but not break defense and a run game, all of that kind of stuff. So I think the fact that the Browns can be explosive on offense just with their running game alone is a huge um, step up compared to other teams who really have to do the full-on shootout, right, the 50 to 45 or the where Baker and Patrick Mahomes in college, I forget what those numbers were, but they were, mm-hmm. you know, off the charts. The Browns can run clock while also being explosive. It's not three yards. It's not four yards. It literally is an explosive run game. So I think that's where things can be a little different for the Browns uh, this week against the Kansas City Chiefs. But as you said, uh, none of us are expecting it. We are all hoping for it, and we're going to look for ways that that can happen. So, Stephen, I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your week. Uh, can you tell the folks uh, any things that they can look forward to on the site from you this week at theobr.com? Uh, yeah, well, like you said, I'm, uh, I got something uh, coming out today uh, about looking ahead to the AFC Championship. What do you What do you prefer? It's going to be different than uh, I think you're breaking it down more on a matchup type level and who would be you know quote unquote the better matchup. Mine is more. Uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to take Baltimore out head to head, or would you rather not have them? You know, it's more of an emotional uh, uh, type thing. I've got that. Uh, next tomorrow will be the weekly mock draft that everyone yells at me about because we're in the playoffs and why are you publishing a freaking mock draft? And then twenty thousand people read it anyway. Uh, and <laughs> Thursday, I'm not exactly sure. I might do another free agent look, an early free agent look, uh, and then Friday the game preview. Saturday for Saturday mocks, um, you know, uh, pretty much the normal stuff. And then, of course, if anything, you know, wacky happens or news happens or, you know, hopefully COVID stuff doesn't happen, maybe a reaction piece here or there. But, uh, yeah, today is the one I'm excited about because I'm curious to see what people think. Um, would you rather have the opportunity to do what they did Sunday night against Pittsburgh, do the same thing against Baltimore? Or would you rather not risk that if they were to somehow win this week and get to next week, if they happen to lose next week, would it be better to lose to, you know, the Bills rather? Because if they did that and lost to Baltimore, it would just make me irrationally angry. So that's what I'm most excited about uh, to see how people respond to that one. Uh, to, that'll be later today, if I'm not mistaken. Folks, because you're not going to go back and read them, I can tell you I'm lying. Uh, but I can tell you that in one of his pieces – he had some guy named Blake as a free agent option for the Browns. He didn't really, but uh, y'all can't prove me. I mean, you can prove me wrong by going back and reading every single one of Stephen Thomas's pieces on the OBR about free agent options out there for the team. Some guy named Blake probably was in there someplace. I'm just hoping there was some dude with the name Blake in there. Uh, but make sure you check out all of that at the OBR. Make sure you follow him at Browns Mock Draft. Again, at Browns Mock Draft. Mr. Stephen Thomas. Stephen, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, yeah, real quick, before we yeah. wrap it up here, you just reminded me of something. I'm sure everybody read the Peter King piece about Michael Dunn uh, yesterday, and there was a little nugget in there that I found extremely interesting. He said, and I can't remember how he phrased it, I'm paraphrasing, but the, one of the reasons they grabbed Dunn, obviously, was he could drive to the game, but one of the other ones was they were planning to sign him in the off season anyway. Was that Dunn or was that Blake? I'm almost sure that was done. Uh, I could be wrong, though. But it does tell me that they have plans in place for the interior offense, the backup, you know, the depth on the offensive line, which tells me that in the draft, that was a day three uh, possibility in some of our um, uh, uh, our mocks this week. And we've had discussions uh, over the past couple of months. Are they going to bring somebody in? JC's over 30 now, bring, you know, somebody to learn for a couple of years and then take over and all that kind of stuff. They might not even go that route because between – 
you know, Dunn and, and, and some guy named Blake and uh, Forbes coming back and Hubbard hopefully coming back from his injury, I think they're, they could be set on the backup, you know, the, the depth on the offensive line uh, already in-house. Um, so any kind of uh, – obviously they're not going to invest a lot of money in a tackle after what they did last year, but along the interior we were thinking maybe they would spend a little capital. They may already have everybody in-house for that. Um, and, and so I, you just pinged that in my head, so I wanted to go ahead and blurt that out here before we wrapped it up. Absolutely, and I, one of the things I shared on Twitter today is I am looking forward to, with Bill Callahan, uh, that the Browns become similar to the, the Cleveland Indians, who the Indians have become, they can develop starting pitchers out of nowhere. I'm really looking forward to the Browns being that on the offensive line. Right. So it, it, it's exciting to see that a guy can come in out of nowhere and, and be really helpful uh, at one of the most important positions, right? Quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, in some order, and then add coaching, those things, those those will be the definition of this team and every good team going forward. You have to have, at some level, all of that going on. And so uh, the Browns currently have some of that and are going to get more as, this, as the year goes on, or I'm sorry, as the, as the seasons go on. Uh, and this offseason is going to be a fun one. So make sure you follow along with Stephen at Browns Mock Draft. Thank you guys for stopping by today. Please, as always, and again, I, I've talked to you a little bit about my experience with the, the COVID vaccine. Uh, I just want to be honest. I just want to share what that looks like for me so you know what to expect. Um, but I want to please encourage you to take care of yourself, take care of others, and as always, go Browns. <laughs>